anyway, he said, I could be wrong. You could be the next biggest thing in ha to happen in Christian music, but I don't think so. But the next morning, God woke me out of my deep sleep with a start and a very clear word. It wasn't an audible voice. I heard some people say when they had this experience, it was louder than that. Very strong and clear, short word. And he said, no, it's not over yet. You belong in gospel music. Don't worry about the record companies. Start your own. Welcome to the Christian Music Archive podcast, conversations about Christ, community, and music. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. I am privileged each week to chat with a musical guest who is listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of God's community. In this week's episode, I'm talking with Mickey and Becky Moore. Before we jump into today's conversation, I want to remind you about the Christian Music Archive prayer letter. You hear me ask every artist I interview how we can pray for them in the weeks to come. You see, I strongly believe in the power of prayer because Jesus said, and I quote, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. So I'm inviting you to sign up for the weekly prayer newsletter so you can receive suggestions on who we can pray for each week. You can join the prayer team on christianmusicarchive.com prayer. And thanks for joining with me in prayer this week. Well, I'd like to welcome to the podcast today, Mickey and Becky Moore. Uh, a lot of people from the early 80s will recognize a big song that they did, Love Song for Number Two, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that a little bit. But uh, happy to welcome to the podcast, Michael and Becky Moore. Thank you. So glad to be here. God bless. It's exciting to have connected. I worked in radio way back in the early 80s and played Love Song for Number Two. And so it's fun for me to be able to jump in and actually be talking to the people who did that song. Well, thank you for your service. <laughs> well, let's let's talk a little bit about how you got started. You're obviously husband and wife, and you have been, uh, for a chunk of time, I think you have six albums out, recorded together. But how did you get started uh, doing music together? We met in art school, actually the week before art school. Uh, we were both came from Christian homes, and we were with the, the Baptist the Baptist Student Union okay. um, had a, a conference of uh, freshmen coming into to, uh, uh, universities in Virginia the week before co college began. We were going to the same university, and so we met the week before college began. And uh, so we were, uh, got involved with the Baptist Student Union right away in, on campus, and we became friends, and then um, uh, we dated casually, uh, throughout that a little bit. And then that following spring, we were back at the conference, uh, the issue conference, and then we shared a hymn book together. We had hymn books back then. Okay. Yeah. And it was 1976, uh, said, uh, spring 76, 67. So. And I told him he had a nice voice. Yeah. She complimented uh -huh. my voice. <laughs> and so right after she complimented me about my voice, 
they announced, we're going to have a talent program tonight, and we'd like people to volunteer. And for some crazy reason, I said to her, why don't we do something together? Ah. I wasn't singing in public, but I was fearless and reckless and uh, <laughs> having a great time. So that afternoon, she taught me two folk songs. And uh, I had uh, been doing chalk drawings uh, as an art performance ministry okay. my last year in high school. And um, that's another long, uh, long story. I was seeking Jesus' uh, uh, mission for me when I was in high school. And he led me to, to use my talent in art to, and to pursue uh, graphic design for Christian organizations. So, um, it, 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 so I, I was doing these chalk drawings as performance ministry. And uh, during the, su the summer, my sisters would sing while I was doing the drawing. Then they went off back to college. So I, had, I was left without a singer. So I, had to, I was forced to sing uh, by myself. And I did that. So then Becky compliments, we would do, we, uh, do that uh, performance. And um, we had no stage fight. I have a natural gift for harmony. Okay. She has a natural gift for uh, playing guitar and harmony. And she's excellent. Uh, so, uh, but we were just having a blast and having a good time. And, uh, uh, I stumbled on the lyrics a little bit, but people loved it because the harmony was there. And, uh, we, and so afterwards, this youth pastor from a church in Richmond came up to us and said, if you guys promise to practice, <laughs> I'd like you to come sing at our, uh, church coffee house. Oh, cool. And, uh, so we did. And the word just spread. So throughout our whole uh, college career, then we were singing every weekend at a church somewhere. And we were the offerings, we gave the money to summer missions projects. And of course, during that time, our relationship grew. We fell in love. And um, actually, uh, she told her mother right away from the beginning that she was going to marry me. And I didn't know it yet. So <laughs> She has the gift of wisdom or, or prophecy, whatever. Um, so we married, and um, uh, and uh, the, the semester before we graduated from college, InterVarsity hired me right away uh, to be their art director, art editor of their college magazine called His. And Becky's degree was in fashion design. So she worked for a short season as a fashion designer and then went into fabric. She became a manager of a fabric, a fabric store. Um, and we continued to sing just... Um, very casually at that point. Um, we were involved with InterVarsity, you know, in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And so with that, um, and there were coffee houses and different things that we would, you know, we would sing along the way um, when we were there in Chicago. And then Becky was fired. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah. She, oh, okay. You want, I'll tell this. <laughs> that's, how we got, that's how we got, I mean, that's how things got really serious. Then. Okay. When we sang together, I mean, we were, you know, we did a lot of folk songs, Peter, Paul and Mary, Bob Dylan, all that type of stuff. And, uh, but we, we also, I mean, there were a lot of Christian songs um, that Peter, Paul, and Murray did like Trample on the Street and a lot of a lot of different folk songs yeah. spoke about Jesus. And so we did not write any music at that time, but we had put a number of songs together called The Folk Christ. 
and we and churches would have us come in and we would sing barefooted and do our program for the for the church you know and everything but now here we are in Chicago he's working for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and um, I had been working for several design places and whatever and it's it's a much longer story we'll need to shorten it a bit but anyway um uh i lost my uh job uh and that's that's a real long story but anyway uh it was rather unfairly but uh, i so i was home um sort of just trying to get over not having ever lost a, a job like that before and um uh, I was spending more time in the Word, and um, he came home one day from work, and I had written a song, and I sang it for him, and he didn't believe I had written it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and she, then, had, she had tried writing songs before, but they were really bad, and uh, <laughs> very sophomoric, very predictable songs, but this was beautiful. It was different. It was, uh, it was like a real song. Was that song an outgrowth of your Bible study, Becky? Yes. Well, all, I mean, yes, I was just spending all the time and I got to Psalm 140, which said, rescue me, O Lord, from evil men. <laughs> this was from, from the job and so forth. And, yeah. and people, and it was very interesting, but my first song was called rescue me. And it's on which album? First I don't album. remember. It's on our first album, but that was the first song I wrote. And from that point on, um, music started coming. So through that very sort of low, devastating time in my life, God used it and just opened up this new door that we'd never had before. It was a miracle. It happened one day. Yeah. One day, the, the day before she couldn't write music. <laughs> and uh, so says I. Yeah. <laughs> but after that, she was brilliant. It was uh, it really was amazing. It's always interesting how God chooses to make transitions in our lives. Sometimes it is that gradual progression, and other times it's like you said, this miraculous. Here's a gift I'm giving to you for this moment. Yes. Well, yes. we've all we've used it as an, an example in our ministry that your valley uh, is God uh, is God working. Mm -hmm. uh, your prison, your time in prison, is God working. My mother used to always tell me, remember. Uh, Mickey, that God is always previous. Hmm. That was a curious way, but you know, God is, he's got a plan. He's got a plan. So we were singing different places still. I mean, we, we've always sung together and singing different places and, but we were very timid about putting my music in because, you know, we would, we would do other people's music and then maybe we'd slide one of ours in and see if they yeah. didn't you know, cringe or whatever as we did. And so eventually um, uh, we became more bold with that and we started and uh, we didn't, we didn't have a negative response to the, to the music I had written. So. Well, I had been, I had been within a varsity for four years and I had gone as far as I could go there. I was getting bored. I wasn't challenged anymore. And we were, we were and then she had lost her job. So we were praying about the next move and God was being very quiet. It was, it was, we were getting nothing from God. And a friend of mine at church says, well, the Bible says, Psalm 37, 4, that delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. He said, if God's being quiet, then, and you want to serve Jesus, well, then what do you want to do? <laughs> and go there. Yeah. Do that. And I thought, you can do that? 
Yeah. <laughs> and so we continued to pray, and he was continue. He continued to be quiet, and so we we just said to God, you know, people have always encouraged us with our music. I think when we're old and 65 in our rockers, <laughs> we always wonder what would have happened if. Yeah. And so then together we just started praying and said, God, stop us. Mm. And so we went to the local restaurant that had that had music and we auditioned. The Beef and Barrel, the beef our and first barrel. place. And they hired us. They hired us. <laughs> and it was fun. And we had to learn a lot of music quickly. Yeah. So... Then uh, we continued it. Then we that we, that was going. We're having a lot of fun doing that. This is all before we really had a calling. We, yeah. you know, we were Christians, but we're working in uh, the secular world. We said, I, I mean, I was writing all kinds of music, and yeah, and so um, uh, we were singing both our gospel songs and just regular songs. So in June '74, I quit my job, and then we went on. We st we stored all our stuff, and what we didn't have anything much. We stored it in a friend's attic, and we just took off for four months. We were gypsies on the road. Uh, gypsies going uh, from Chicago down to New Orleans, up to uh, New York, and we were singing in churches. And then we go to a, a city, and we audition at different clubs and restaurants, and. Um, so worked our way up the East Coast, DC, then to um, then to uh, New York, yeah. And in New York, we both felt God was saying, "Move here," uh -huh. and uh, lots of stories. So we spent two years uh, singing in secular clubs, making our living singing in secular clubs, uh, and around in around New York. And uh, after, um, oh yeah, oh this is important. Okay. Back, going back to when we said, God, stop us, when we went going to music, we, we laid down two ground rules uh, before doing that. At that time, a lot of famous uh, husband-wife duos were getting divorced. So we saw that there seemed to be a pattern there. It doesn't work for marriage. We laid down, we, we laid down two rules. Number one, we, we're going to go at this uh, at 110%, full tilt, for two years. We're going to give it two years. And then the number two rule is the... Um, that the marriage always trumps the career, and that was that was sacred. And so, um, a year into our uh, secular venture of the two years, we had a, a big show in the in Greenwich Village. Big producer was there. Our age, we had an agent at the Bitter Inn. It was um, at the Bitter Inn where oh, Peter, Paul, cool. and Mary started. Yeah. We were so excited. Actually, it was next door at the other end. Oh, now it's called the other end. Okay, that's right. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so the word came back from the producer, uh, drop the guy. I think I can make a star out of the girl. Uh. <laughs> and I said, uh, okay, uh, then what are you going to do, Becky? Yes. <laughs> and she didn't even think about it. She said, we made that decision when we started this thing. And so she didn't even consider it. And, um, so then, um, uh, then the agent said that she was trying to get us a recording contract. Everybody in New York said they're really country. They need to go to Nashville. Because um, they didn't have folk anymore at that time. It seemed like if you were folky, they put you in the country category. Right. So she set up meetings with us, uh, with country um, publishers and recording uh, in Nashville. Our pastor, uh, our church was in uh, Times Square. It was called the, uh, the, the Lamb's Manhattan Church of the Nazarene. He had a background in gospel music, so he set up meetings with us with his contacts in gospel music. So we were down there for a week 
interviewing uh, secular record labels and Christian record labels. He was speaking at Trevecca Nazarene, uh, now it's university. And we sang with him at one night, one time. Everybody in Nashville is very polite and they were all saying the same thing. Oh, that's really great. You guys are great, but we're just not signing anybody right now, which is, which is Nashville speak was, no, you guys are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to hurt your feelings, but yeah. Never do that. So the last person we got to see was Bob McKenzie. He was uh, the, he was the head, he was the biggest dude in, in Christian music at that time and head of new packs. Right. And uh, so he went into his office and he said, uh, first thing I want to know is why'd you leave Christian design? We need more designers than we need singers. And uh, I, I knew we were in trouble then. He said, I saw you guys sing. And frankly, I felt people wanted to close their eyes and hope when they opened them, you'd be gone. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we were, no, that, was, that was quite a boo. <laughs> yeah. No one ever told us we were bad. And because uh, everybody's nice except him. He was the original Simon Cowell. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, uh, very smart and successful man. Anyway, he said, I could be wrong. You could be the next biggest thing in ha to happen in Christian music, but I don't think so. Uh, he said, don't take my word for it. Go make your own record. Come back and tell me how many records you sell. Mm. And that was an indication of how, uh, how the industry goes as well. Because yeah. it is a business. Yep. It is a business. Yep. We were devastated. And so that night we, uh, we got out of there. We were devastated. In tears in the car, we prayed and we thanked Jesus for this experience. We thanked him for answering our prayers of showing us what we should do. Mm -hmm. And he showed us by what we're not supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and that was our peace. We were children of God and we were obedient. And so we, we made our peace with Jesus and we said, well, we're trained in other things. Yeah, yeah. Michael oh, yeah. is trained in graphic design and I'm fashion design and so forth. And it was like, okay, we've tried this for two years. And, you know, so we basically said, all right, Lord, if this is your answer, then, you know, then we're going to follow that. And so we went out to Red Lobster and had a nice dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and we quit music at that time as far as, you know, the yeah. traveling. And but. But. The next morning, before sun, sunrise, God woke me out of my deep sleep with a, I mean, with a start and a very clear word. It wasn't an audible voice. I heard some people say when they had this experience, it was louder than that. Mm. Very strong and clear, short word. And he said, no, it's not over yet. You belong in gospel music. Don't worry about the record companies. Start your own. Wow. And then a flood of ideas just began to pour through my mind. I got up and I was writing down the, pl the plans of what I was supposed to do and how to do it. So that was March the 10th, 1976. So I woke up. God didn't wake me up. <laughs> <laughs> God didn't wake me up. I woke up and he had this whole list of things saying, we're, you know, we're going to take every penny we have out of the bank and we're going to go back and we're going to start our own record company and we're going to do this. And, and I thought, I thought, you know, we just quit last night. What happened? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he said, God told me this and, and everything. And I thought, but why didn't he, why didn't he tell me? And, um, and actually Michael then said, he said, because I wouldn't have believed you. He said, you are the creative part. You are the writer. And, and you know, 
I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have believed you if, if he had told you. Mm. I had the same insight that uh, Bob McKenzie did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but and also as the, uh, the God honoring as the head of the household, uh, he, uh, he spoke to me, but it's true. I, I, it would make any, it wouldn't make any sense if she said that. Um, but Cause you uh, would have thought it was all vain. I right. Guess. So, um, Neither one of us can read music. We're not musically trained. We're, we're artists. And um, so anyway, that was March the 10th. And by September, we had the, the first album came out. And then we, um, we launched on our cross, first cross-country tour immediately. Whatever we had in the bank was our budget. And we went back and we recorded our first album. And we had enough to print up a thousand copies Mm. And and we filled our little Vegas station wagon with albums and headed, and we called everybody we knew across country because we have relatives and friends and different people and said, you know, if you, if we can come and sing at your church or if you have, you know, some, you know, some space that we could sing, uh, we're coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> and our pastor. You can tell about our pastor. He said, well, you can expect, it's going to take you a year to sell those thousand He used records. to be in a group, yeah. yeah. Anyway, we sold out in six weeks. Wow. And uh, so, oh, but what's, yeah, the, after, after we quit and God said, that's when and God said, uh, no, you belong in, in your focus. You need to be, uh, you, you're, you're just saying gospel music. That's when we started singing her songs that we thought were too off the wall. Hmm. Um, and that, and uh, we kept trying to give people what we thought they wanted. We were giving uh, Bob McKenzie what we thought they were looking yeah. for but we weren't we weren't uh singing the songs that were kind of just little wacky it was uh, a lot of that, southern gospel and stuff but what we sang was yeah. everything is under control whoa whoa yeah yeah <laughs> if you had your own funeral song don't cry for me yeah don't be blue i'll be better off than you uh <laughs> she wrote a, a testimony song about um i never smoked dope or swore at the pope or spent the night with a shady lady <laughs> I just well, came in bold when I was six years old and said, Preacher, I want him to save me. These were things you weren't hearing at your normal Christian concert. Well, and do you think that's why you were so well-received? Because it wasn't this formula that the church had become accustomed to? Yes, we were not slick at all. We were, <laughs> we were just, uh, we, were, we had fun. We were funny. They, and the songs were about what things that were happening to us, yeah. like guitar song when my guitar was stolen. And it, it, I'm talking about you know, my feelings and, you know, and how the Lord could use that, even though it was a terrible situation. So you guys funded two independent records, and, and this is all made up of the songs that you were writing, the songs that you were feeling. Uh, how did you then be, catch the attention of Benson, Milk and Honey, was with, with sales, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, see, uh, so on our fourth album, uh, we learned a lot. We, have, we were up in New York, and we were recording in New York. Uh, uh, Noel Paul Stuckey of Peter, Paul, and Mary mm -hmm. uh, produced our second album. And we were it's called Studio and Live. We, we did the studios. <laughs> Back then, we had two sides of the record, right? Right. And so one side was in a studio up in Noel's uh, Hen House studio up in Blue Hill, Maine. And then the other side was a one-take live uh, concert at ah. the uh, Slams yeah. Church in Times Square. It was just a one take. Yeah. And uh, so um, anyway, so we, after, by now approaching our fourth album, we learned a lot of how the business works. So you've got to record in Nashville. 
and you've got to use Nashville known people. And uh, I said, okay, we'll play their game. Yep. And uh, we wanted, and with the, and with this fourth album, we, we had a vision of what we wanted to accomplish um, uh, uh, career wise. We wanted to expand because we were a regional uh, Northeast group right. and we wanted to expand to a national platform. And so I said, let's, all right, but we need to speak the language that the radio stations speak. And so um, anyway, God directed us miraculously to um, Greg Nelson, oh, yeah. who was uh, just beginning and he had just recorded um, Wayne, Watson. Wayne Watson's uh, Touch of the Master's Hand and, uh, and Sandy Patty. Yeah. And he, he had seen us, he really liked what we were doing. And so he wanted to work with us. So uh, we had, a, we had a, a, a rising star of a producer uh, with Greg Nelson. And then um, I, had, I usually helped Becky write her songs mostly by giving her ideas of what she should be writing about. And uh, in her pile of ideas, I said, you need to write Mickey. Write about me. You need to write a, you need to write Mickey a love song. <laughs> write about me. Tell the world how just wonderful how I am. blessed you are. <laughs> so she had other things to do and never got around to it. So finally. We were on the road. We were on the road from Houston to Dallas. Yeah. Just that we were on the road from Houston to Dallas. And it's a long ride. That's where she did a lot of her writing yeah, is in the van. Yeah, the sure. You got to do something and while you're on the road. Cartoons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we were on the way to see a friend, Chuck Watson, who lived up in, in uh, Dallas. And uh, so here we were traveling, and, uh, and I, I wrote Love Song for Number Two in the car. And um, so Michael hadn't heard it. And, and, uh, well, tell what Jesus said, said to you as you started to write okay. about how wonderful well, I was. Well, of course. You know, <laughs> when you think about writing a love song, to me it becomes a big, gushy Yeah. Oh, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I thought, oh, you know, well, that's that. First of all, that's just not me to be that gushy. But anyway, True. the other thing, the other thing was, I thought, well, if Jesus is number one, then Mickey is number two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and. Once that thought hit my mind, I just sat there and let the pencil go. I don't know that I even really thought about it. I think it's something that that God just gave me. Yeah. And it wrote itself. She sang it to me. She says, you want to hear what I wrote today? And I said, sure. I'm always open to hearing what you write. And she wrote it. She sang it to me, and I was undone. I was, it was... <laughs> Well, it was it was the picture of what you guys were striving in your lives to have God be the number one position in your life and in your career, and you were going to do everything to honor that, including putting things aside if they were getting in the way of the union, the marriage that God had ordained yeah. for you guys. It's It struck such a chord. We recorded the album, and then we were shopping it for other labels. Um, uh, Sparrow Records was very interested in it. Billy Ray said, uh, uh, Hearn, he said, he said, this is a hit, I, you know, I want it. And uh, Star Song, we had talked with Star Song before we turned down the offer from Star Song. We told them, I said, would you sign this contract? <laughs> and they said, no. <laughs> but anyway, but uh, anyway, Billy Ray said, um, he says, well, I don't make these decisions by myself anymore. I got to talk with my people and my salespeople. So, yeah. so anyway, they rejected it. Um, um, they rejected the group. Uh, they love the song, but I guess they rejected us. They signed, um, believe it or not, they signed BB and CC Winans instead. I don't, 
I don't know what their head was. <laughs> so we were, you know, uh, just as God said, he says, you know, don't worry about the record company, start your own. So we yeah. did it ourselves. And, and then it uh, went to number one all across the country. It was, it, it was, went, you know, it went nuts. So back then you could do that because the local DJ, a lo local music director of each, of each station chose what song to sing. They didn't have to, now you can't do that. But now it's all planned by one person, I think, and they program the whole country. So we planned all the promotion and marketing geared to the, the program director at each local station. And we called them all, you know. But by the time, if our prayer was if they can just get it on the rep, because we saw what was happening in our concerts. And people were demanding the song at our concerts before we recorded it. And so they kept calling on the request line to the radio stations. Once they heard it, you know, one station, what was it? They Where was yeah. that that said they couldn't, I, they had to put a limit on how many times they could play the song. I think Denver told us, you cannot play that song more than, was it four times in a I don't know, but they wouldn't let, they, they, was, they wouldn't let him play it again. So we were getting, then, uh, so it was just Becky and me and, um, in the records in our basement. And wow. um, so then the, the media was uh, calling us to do interviews and, uh, and then we got distribution and, and, um, and so on. So and we got an agent because we were booking ourselves everywhere up until that time yeah. as well. So um, then on our, then we start, that was our fourth album. Then uh, we did the fifth album. And by this time, life was very complicated. We had we had kids, we had a mortgage, we had a motorhome, we had a nanny, and uh, and we always worked on a cash basis. We never borrowed money to do this uh, ministry. That was, I didn't think it was smart to do to borrow money. So, uh, but anyway, he didn't have enough. Anyway, so then um, then Benson comes into the picture, and so we negotiated with them, and and we had come to the end of ourselves. And so it looked like it was God just providing at the right time. We had already produced the album, though. We had already that's what uh, this is the this produced was, Mickey and Becky. This Moore. was the, the the fifth album. Okay, yeah, Mickey and Becky Moore. And so um, anyway, we signed with them. It sounded like the right thing, but uh, it was a disaster. <laughs> and um, you know, we were always wanting help. We were always wanting someone else to step in and help us. But that didn't. It, when it actually did, it didn't really help us. <laughs> It's kind of interesting. God told you to start a record label, and that He blessed. But when you branched out, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. But it wasn't what His plan was for you guys. Yeah, I really think it was, um, it was chastisement and correction on me after that album. It was the best album we ever did, and her song, um, um, "God Will Provide a Way," mm -hmm. it was just wonderful. We took a, a, in 88, we took a year sabbatical. And um, so that was, and at the end of that year, we got a call from Grand Rabbits radio station. And the song God Will Provide a Way was their number one most requested song of the year. Wow. It was four years old. Yeah. That doesn't happen in music. <laughs> we hadn't done one concert. We had done no promotion for that whole year. And that song was the number one most requested uh, song. That love song for number two and God will provide a way are the are the songs that that mark our lives yeah. and uh, so on. So the interesting thing about God will provide a way. We were on our way to Nashville to record that album with Greg Nelson, 
And um, as we left to go to Nashville, again, riding in the car, (laughs) we hadn't told Greg we didn't have all the songs written for, we only had eight songs. I needed two more songs, strong songs. And we didn't didn't have all the money for him either. Yeah, I prayed for the, (laughs) I prayed, Lord, give me two more strong songs for this album. And the two songs he gave me were God Will Provide a Way and You Didn't Have to Love Me. And um, and uh, they ended up being, you know, the strongest songs, really some, one of the strongest songs on the album. Well, I think so. this is a good place to, to maybe kind of take a, a detour because all through this, you're talking about the importance of God's impact on your, what you're doing. So at some point, you both were born and raised in Christian homes, but at some point you made this your own relationship, not mom and dad said we're supposed to go to church, so we go to church, and now I have a relationship with God. I'd be interested in hearing how, uh, what was it that that caused each of you to say, my relationship with Jesus is a personal thing, to where you could hear God speaking to you? I got saved when I was six. My dad was a Baptist preacher. Uh, Becky's grandfather was a preacher in the Christian church. She accepted Christ when she was 12. She's been a steady rock ever since 12. She's... (laughs) She's been faithful and steady. Um, I've been um, I've been a little more of a roller coaster guy. Uh, at 16, um, at uh, at family family Bible camp, um, the Lord really got my attention. I became um, uh, renewed my my walk with the Lord. There became uh, very serious about uh, uh, honoring Him and and seeking Him for my life. So that's when I began to pray earnestly for God to show me what I was supposed to do with my life. One night in church, uh, in the youth group, they were talking about choosing a vocation and have, what does God want you to do? So they, that coincided right with what I, the way I was praying. Mm-hmm. And the, the teacher said, consider what your talents are, what your hobbies are. You have been gifted with, uh, with skills and interests as perhaps what God wants, would like, uh, in, intends for you to do. I had just took an art class. I just went nuts over art. I, up to that point, I think I was leaning towards becoming a teacher of English, of all things. Hmm. And uh, if you knew how I spelled, that was, that's, a, that's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason Becky's the writer, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I began to pray like that. Is that what you want me to do? And so, um, uh, again, it was back at the, uh, the church camp. Uh, the, the speaker of that that week was a chalk artist. So I was mesmerized watching this man draw these beautiful pictures right before our eyes, and then he'd give a little devotional afterwards, and it was just uh, mesmerizing. My father was watching me watch the man, and he came up to me after one night, and he said, if you would like to do this, I'll give you 50 bucks towards getting your own set. Um, I was su- surprised. I didn't know my dad had 50 bucks. And so I asked the man, uh, where do you get these sets? He says, you can't buy them. You have to make them. I said, how much was yours? Mine was 250 I thought, oh, okay. So back home, uh, my folks, they left town uh, for some reason. I was staying with the friends. They called back uh, to check in every night. And uh, one night they were with my grandmother. And um, I guess they were telling her about the chalk drawing experiences. So she said, she says, Mickey, I think I, I know what God wants you to do. You should be a chalk artist. Well, uh, at that dinner, my friend's father had just brought up that. He didn't know any of this. And he said, 
He said, I think you should be a chunk artist. He says, I know a man who used to do it and he's trying to, he doesn't do it anymore. He's trying to sell his set. So when my folks came home, we went to see the man and guess how much he wanted for the set? 50 bucks. <laughs> and so uh, we took it home that night and I set the set up in my bedroom and my parents sat on my bed and I took, he had a note, uh, a notebook with his drawings and stuff. And I just looked at his, looked at his drawings and I did the drawing mm. right there. Um, first time. And uh, so dad said, do you want to do it at church? And I said, sure. So that was uh, an affirmation uh, of, of the calling. Uh, I had the, I had the ability, the skills, the interests. So for you, it was that confirmation that had this teaching somebody shared with you, your dad ponied up some money and God provided exactly what you needed in the exact amount that was going to cost. That was kind of the aha moment that this Jesus thing is a real personal thing for you. Yeah, you couldn't ignore that. You yeah. couldn't ignore that. Um, in college, the, the, uh, the, the Christian group I was with was, you know, going more um, uh, liberal. And by liberal, I define that as caring more about what men think than what God's word is and mm -hmm. trying to explain away what is written in the Bible. And so I became more political, uh, activist. And the 1969 was very much like 2020. Um, and what we, it was basically the same thing we did back in 1969. It was social justice and uh, protesting uh, everything, the government and, and so on and so on. Um, I was a card-carrying conscientious objector and, and protesting for this and that and so on. But then the peace movement became violent and they were blowing up college campuses and people were getting killed. And, and then the Black Panthers who were taking over the civil rights thing were again killing cops. And I was extremely disillusioned by that. I said, this is, this is not peace, this right. is not love. And so I dropped out of all that. And I said, I'm just gonna focus on my, on my, on my schoolwork. Uh, we were both applicants for short-term mission work and that fell through at the last moment. Then InterVarsity hired me, uh, another wonderful uh, story. And God stopped me from going on the mission field and put me uh, for four years in, uh, in, with InterVarsity, which, which was like uh, uh, Orthodox theology class. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was put with some serious uh, thinking scholars, th scholars uh, that uh, be believed uh, in, the, in God's holy word as it's written. And um, so that was, that was a training, uh, training experience. Um, so the, um, so that's, uh, that's kind of the evolution and then, and then going to New York where we be dependent on Jesus every day for parking places, for safety, for, for uh, we were singing, we made our living singing on the streets in Greenwich Village. Uh, Island Ferry. After, after we stopped, we were convicted of the places we were singing were not healthy or good for us to be singing in well, these places. That was places. the bars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, we, so we made our living singing on the streets um, uh, then. And that was really great. And uh, we loved it. But then it got cold. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it was so exciting. We were having the best time. Uh, you know, we were. Uh, we were young and we were uh, uh, we were in love and we were doing it together. That was yeah. that was so wonderful. And then uh, 
and then the Jesus movement was going full rate, uh, full for, full force yeah. uh, during that time too. And we were singing, uh, people get saved, and prostitutes, and homosexuals, and thieves, and drug addicts uh, getting saved and coming to the church, and Jesus changing them. And it was, uh, it was, it was wonderful, wonderful times. So Becky, that. let's talk about your. Um, Michael said you had been a rock since twelve. What was your conversion moment that said this relationship with Jesus is something that I need for more than what I'm told to do? I never had a knockdown, drag out. <laughs> drag out dragged uh, dragged out or what is it uh time i mean i a lot of times i hear people state it was this day this was their you know the, their time and their right. date and everything uh i grew up in a very strong christian home my pa- parents um uh were um you know amazing as far as i mean i was from a family of 10 I had eight brothers and, you know, or seven brothers and sisters. I'm one of eight. And um, we just saw God working as a normal thing in our lives. All the, you know, um, and so, uh, you know, maybe I'm not as deep as Michael is. He was going here for, (laughs) he seemed to falter one way or the other or go other, but you know, my, my trust in the Lord from a young person, um, I got, um, active in Sunday school and actually helping teaching, teaching the younger kids and involved with that. And, um, the Lord just never let me down. Now at age 12, of course, that was at a, um, a revival where, you know, I just felt that it, that I needed to make it you know, confirm that this Mm -hmm. was, you know, who I was following, but, um, God has always, always been there for me and answered my prayers. And I've never really had like a major come to Jesus moment as far as, wow, this is, this is, you know, other than, you know, at that point in time, you know, walking up the aisle, which is hard to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And giving your life to the Lord. Um, um, so I, it, it's funny because that's part of what my test, our testimony song is about. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Mm-hmm. You know, which, the one that says I never smoked dope or swore right. at the Pope. Um, it was sort it sort of came out of the situation. I, we were at, uh, when we used to be in Chicago, we were members of circle church. And, um, and then, and then when we went to, uh, New York at the Lamb's Church. Well, the Lamb's Church. I had a friend who, um, who had come out of prostitution, and she was lesbian, and all of these different things, you know. And um, uh, someone was asking, you know, about her testimony, and she was sharing everything that God had walked her through and saved her. I mean, when she was having an overdose and everything, and then boom, you know. Yeah. And um, you know, and then they turn to you and say, and how did you come to know the Lord? Yeah. <laughs> and so our testimony song was sort of written out of that. It's like, I never smoked dope or swore at the Pope or spent the night with the shady lady. I just came in bold when I was six years old. Well, that was the six-year-old part was Michael and said, Jesus, I want him to save me. But my friend who, who was saved for, from all of this stuff, she says, don't ever, ever be embarrassed that you don't have a testimony like mine, she said, because actually you do. Yeah. 
because you could have gotten into everything that I did, but God saved you from that. But he saved you before you got into it. You all have potential to be right there where she was. So she, she really blessed me with that because, you know, you do hear some amazing, amazing testimonies. I mean, and, and, and some of that is written into that song, um, uh, where we had a friend that was smuggling dope across uh, Italy with his girlfriend and they got arrested and thrown in jail. And there was this little minister that came every day to the prison on both sides. One, his wife went to the lady's side where she was and uh, uh, the husband came to the side where he was and they were both ministering to them and trying to get them to accept the Lord. And finally he took the Bible from the uh, missionary just in order to try to bait some of the debate, some of the things that he was telling him, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when he came to, you know, to talk with him. And so when he took the Bible and he started reading it, the word just convicted him himself. And he fell down on his knees in this Italian prison. And at that moment, and, and this is a testimony he gives at that moment, when he, when he accepted the Lord somewhere in the prison, someone was flipping the radio channels and the hallelujah chorus came on. (laughs) Timing is everything. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, how do you say anything about your testimony after somebody gives one like that? And and we do tend to compare. Oh, so-and-so did this. But anyway, so I'm not in exciting. Mine's not exciting, but, you know, but God still um, is in control and has done amazing things. And, And he is using us, you know, with all of the other ministers that are trained musicians and uh, have gone to school and know how to write a song and um, and know how to play the guitar. I, my mom basically taught me three chords. <laughs> she was a Girl Scout leader and I was in Girl Scouts and, and of course she was busy with other things. So she taught me three chords, G, C, and D. And um, I just started playing the camp fire songs and stuff for the girls. And so that's how I learned to play the guitar. I play totally by ear. You know and, how to play guitar and you certainly well, know how to write a song. Well, I do. But I mean, but God uses, it's God's scripture says he uses the foolish to confound the wise. And so we are the foolish. Um, uh, we're just, you know, we're just doing what we know how to do. And it's it's just as amazing to us that, that we had a number one song, you know? Well, I think what I take out of all of this is just a really important message that we all need to hear is that God reaches us exactly where we are. And some of us are dense yeah. and need this come to Jesus transformational moment that's going to knock us off our socks so that the Hallelujah Chorus will pray when we say, Lord, come in. And others of us have the soft heart and recognize our need for the Lord. And he doesn't need to have that crazy, you know, testimonial that we all, oh man, I don't have that crazy testimony. But you do because Mm -hmm. you still have that relationship with Jesus that is personal, that he died for you, that has changed your life. And it was just the way he needed it to be. So I've heard a lot of people lament the fact that they don't have this amazing testimony. It's like, be grateful because you, like your friend yeah. said, you didn't have to experience all of that to be able to have this delightful relationship with the Lord. Amazing. When she wrote that song, it just struck a note with so many people because so many people, particularly in the church where you're singing, 
relate to that. They got saved and they were saved from all that sin and trouble. And uh, so they, they really responded to that in, in, a, in, a, in a great way. Well, I want to be sensitive to time, but there's one other topic that I'd really like to li- to talk about because you guys did make the commitment to put your marriage and your relationship with Christ above your career. So at one point, there was an end to the career, uh, and you set it all aside because you wanted to focus on your marriage. I'd be interested to hearing that story. Well, when things fell apart with the Benson deal, um, it was I was you know searching my own heart and I and I knew that the the Lord was uh, chastising me uh, for um, uh, shortcomings for sin for uh, a number of things and I just felt we needed to take a break and take a sabbatical uh, so we took a full year sabbatical uh, at that time and, and to focus on, on getting uh, getting my spiritual life back in in, in right order. But also to focus on our, our family and our marriage. And we had two small kids then. The uh, the the traveling was having adverse effects on the kids, um, and um, so we to reassess all that. And so after that year, because um, we always took our kids with us, of course. Right. So 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 we stopped. We stopped, and we were we were at one point we. Um, we we were moving, and we were figuring out where to move. And we there's so many Christian um, uh, professional Christian couples were divorcing uh, during the uh, 70s and 80s, and uh, it was a common expression that Nashville has changed more Christians and Christians have changed Nashville. Mm, yeah. And so uh, I have to that, that we that was one of the reasons we chose not to move to Nashville. Uh, Which would have been a smarter thing for our career if we yeah. had, maybe, but not because we were choosing the marriage over. Right. It just seemed it seemed that Nash- Nashville was getting more dangerous as far as as marriages. And that's concerned. and that's an end of you know that's that's any city anywhere. Every every person has that they can make their choices to whatever they want to do. Uh, but it's also tricky when when your faith is also your profession. Yeah. Um, because. We uh, we've seen that where you you it can very quickly become faith a uh, fakey because particularly television ministries they have to have a miracle every day uh, <laughs> within yeah. that hour right yeah and and so we've we we've been there we we sang on those TV shows we did we did the festivals we knew how uh, our worth to the festivals was only based on how much money how uh, many people how many how many tickets we would sell was was uh, our worth. And once we don't, once we weren't uh, on the charts, then we weren't worth anything. Uh, didn't matter how many people got saved at your at your concerts and so on. So all those things came into consideration, and it, and it, so we went back on the road part time for a couple years, and then we felt the Lord was saying everything is affecting everything, and so it was not over yet. And so uh, I remember when God spoke, and He said, "It's not over yet," and I felt like in 1990 He said. It's yet, <laughs> and so we uh, we stopped the traveling uh, and got the kids in regular school. And did local things and uh, got back to you know more faithful in the local church, and and so on. So we raised our kids, and um, so the kids are gone, and now we've just sold the farm. We're our, so our ministry has uh, has has remained with the local church, 
Yeah. And children's ministry, men's ministry, choir, yeah, we uh, local pregnancy center. Did the children's uh, children's Christmas program yeah. last year and worked with the kids. And so, yeah. uh, so we're going to be moving out uh, off of the farm, so there won't be any maintenance going on. And no more hay cutting. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're actually praying and looking forward to um, new what opportunities. Uh, new opportunities yeah. at, our, at the ripe old age that we are. Well, one of the things that we do is on Saturday, I send out a prayer newsletter to folks who are committed to praying for folks who've been making Christian music. Obviously, you guys talked about just selling the farm and looking for the future. How specifically can we be praying for you guys in the months ahead? I'm excited about uh, about the future. Yes, and, and what he uh, has in store now. And so uh, we are at a, at a new phase of life now and uh, looking forward to see how God, how God uses that. So that would be our prayer to uh, that the Lord make it clear. And, 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 uh, and, and as we know, He will. He, yeah. will. he will open the doors. He'll provide the way. He always has. I will provide a way. Amen. I appreciate Michael and Becky sharing their story of how following God is always worth it they received a very distinct call from God to sing gospel music. And despite all the industry roadblocks and the people who said that that wasn't a real good career path for them, they were obedient. And not only did God provide a way for them to do what he called them to do, he blessed them beyond their wildest dreams, even to charting a couple of hits from their independent albums. And did you notice that God blessed Michael and Becky with skills that would help them achieve his call on their life? I believe God can do that for you and for me, too. He will provide everything we need to do exactly what he's called us to do. That includes finances, talent, and abilities. How do I say this with such certainty? Well, I refer to the Bible, and it says so. <laughs> In 1 Peter 4, it says, quote, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. Did you notice those verses stated that God supplies gifts, strength, and energy? God has a vast storehouse and variety of spiritual gifts, and he has one just for you. So don't be bashful and use his gifts for you to bless others. I promise you will not regret it. Thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind taking a few minutes to rate it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these great conversations. And if you have comments or questions for me, please feel free to drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for at CCM Exchange. Or you can always drop me an email on my website, christianmusicarchive.com. 
I'm really looking forward to our time together next week when I have another conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. So until then, remember this. God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. <laughs>